0: Two, three, four, one, two, three, and... Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Today's show is Let's Unmake Something, and our guest is Frederic Neira. He's the author of The Unconstructible Earth An Ecology of Separation. All of our music for this episode comes from the Talking Heads' Fear of Music, released in 1979. We're listening to, mind.
1: I need something to change your mind.
0: Consider the subtleness of the sea, how its most dreaded creatures glide underwater, unapparent for the most part and treacherously hidden beneath the loveliest tints of azure. Consider also the devilish brilliance and beauty of many of its most remorseless tribes, as the dainty, embellished shape of many species of sharks. Consider, once more, the universal cannibalism of the sea, all whose creatures prey upon each other, carrying on eternal war since the world began. Consider all this and then turn to this green, gentle and most docile earth. Consider them both, the sea and the land. And do you not find a strange analogy to something in yourself? For as this appalling ocean surrounds the verdant land, so in the soul of man, There lies one insular Tahiti, full of peace and joy, but encompassed by all the horrors of the half-known life. That's from Melville's Moby Dick, naturally. In the age of the Anthropocene, the Earth is a post-natural planet that can be remade at will, controlled and managed thanks to the prowess of geoengineering. This new imaginary is also accompanied by a new kind of power, geopower, that takes the entire Earth, in its social, biological, and geophysical dimensions, as an object of knowledge, intervention, and governmentality. In short, our rising awareness that we have destroyed our planet has simultaneously provided us not with remorse or resolve, but with a new fantasy that the anthropocene delivers an opportunity to remake our terrestrial environment thanks to the power of technology as a counterstatement, frederick nera proposes an ecology of separation that acknowledges the wild subtractive capacity of nature against the capitalist technocratic delusion of earth as a constructible object but equally against an organicism marked by unacknowledged traces of racism and sexism nera shows what it means to appreciate earth as an unsubstitutable becoming underway for billions of years withdrawing into the most distant past and the most inaccessible future earth escapes the hubris of all who would remake and master it frederick Nara is associate professor of comparative literature at the university of wisconsin-madison he is editor of Alienocene, an online journal that charts the environmental humanities and contemporary theory. Found will it your mind? As the talking heads recur throughout, so too will selections from Michael Palmer's poem Odd Even from 1985, but here excised out of published order. Dear Lexicon, I died in you as a dragonfly might or a dragon in a bottle might. Dear Lexia, there is no mind. Dear Book, you were never a book. Panther, you are nothing but a page torn from a book. Stupid Lake, you were the ruin of a book. And now, let's unmake something on the Unconstructible Earth with Frédéric Nara on Interchange on WFHB. I did like your epigraphs as well. I just would like to tell you and I enjoyed the the part you pulled out of uh, Michael Palmer's Odd Even. Today's space is splendid. The mountains have come loose. Let's unmake something, which is obviously perfect. But it leaves out the opening of the the stanza, which is repeated throughout all the other stanzas, which is ideas aren't worth anything. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, because in fact, a sentence like this can be only said by someone who loves ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you quote Nietzsche. Something about pricelessness or worth.
1: Nietzsche said somewhere what something that has a price has no value. It is maybe about that, right? Yes, how a price can be at the end of any any value. But for sure, ideas have value, and those who try to give them a price are those who also are responsible for the death of uh, ideas.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty perfect, actually, because, you know, generally we talk about the the knowledge economy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it does tie it to that.
1: And knowledge is just a a way to produce um, the appropriation. Uh, Knowledge is one thing, but truth is another. I I believe that, I believe, I more believe in truth than in in, in knowledge, actually. Truth understood as uh, an interruption, not understood as a knowledge or as a, as a super knowledge, but truth is precisely the idea. Truth is what destroys knowledge. Truth is what interrupts what we consider as knowledge. So truth as, a, truth is the interruption of uh, any economics. So I think that really to be able to reshape ideas and to find again the, the power and the beauty of ideas, it is absolutely necessary to undo something.
0: I have spent some time with, I wouldn't say similar books, but books uh, approaching many of the same issues, trying to understand some of the things like geoengineering and and things of that nature. But I hadn't really thought of it in in these terms, um, in terms of the philosophical aspects of it. For me, much of this is just trying to understand how humans have been thinking for a long time and that change in thinking
1: I think we are in a moment of change actually. And uh, we are in this moment of change in which, in a way, we are compelled to modify our representations. The only problem is that we don't know if we will have time to do that uh, because we are in a very uh, difficult uh, moment in which um, a kind of dangerous sort of threat, something threatening um, life or uh, at least. Uh, Certain forms of life, the human form of life, uh, for sure. And so, my book, uh, *The Unconstructable Earth*, is just one component of this moment, right? Just one uh, way to participate in this attempt to modify our way of thinking. That is to say, in the same time, our way of uh, dealing with economics and and politics. This book is a part of a trilogy so there is like a first opus a first part the first book the beginning of this trilogy it's not translated in english it's called homo labyrinthus the fact to consider human beings as um, what is the word in english labyrinthus you know labyrinth so it's about human beings let's say the second opus uh, is about the Earth. And about ecology as such, and the third one on which I am working, on which I work, um, is more about the cosmos. So really, a trilogy: human beings, Earth, cosmos, and uh, and of course, after having finished the trilogy, I will have to begin it again, to redo it. But that's a, that's a normal situation. So I wanted just to say that um, thinking about. The earth is for me one moment uh, of my, uh, you know, in my intellectual trajectory, uh, like a a necessary step. But um, the goal is certainly not to sever the earth from uh, human beings and non-human forms of life and uh, the universe. And the goal is not, in fact, it's a book. Maybe the goal of this book is to fight against any sort of representations of the earth considered as an object the earth is not an object and uh, as you were mentioning geoengineering i could say that geoengineering might be understood as a scientific representation of the earth as an object and so the earth is not an object Um, and maybe in, general, uh, yeah, maybe in general, speaking about objects is a bad way to speak about what exists.
0: This is Interchange on WFHB. My guest is French philosopher Frédéric Neyra, and we're confronting the unconstructible Earth through his ecology of separation. Neyra makes a provocative case against the rampant trend in the West towards solutionism and techno-optimism, in confronting climate disruption. He insists we must change our minds, rejecting the idea of controlling an Earth that will not be a thing and is masterless. It would be interesting to think about, you know, what is the earth for people and in some respects I had, in, I had imagined this interview being you interviewing me, say, <laughs> asking me what I thought the earth was, you know, what I thought nature was, what I thought these things actually meant. It is a, it is a difficult question because these terms are important. The fact that we, th- that we think through these terms, what is nature, how have we seen nature? Is nature different than earth? You know, uh, so how how do we begin to think of earth and nature and for me, what, what is being done to the earth and how it's responding, I suppose. What is happening? There's too much carbon in the atmosphere. The oceans are acidifying. The forests are burning. The coral reef is bleaching. So, as you said already, what is the time left to have this conversation in? Uh, You know, how quickly can we change the ways in which we imagine these kind of Western philosophical views Of the earth, of humans in the earth, of humans as central to this particular story—is the earth the centerpiece of the story in your book, or are we still dealing with how we as humans must find a way to decenter ourselves from Mm -hmm. from this earth?
1: Yeah, you know, you began to speak about the earth, and you you, at the beginning of your last intervention. You were speaking about nature, right? The first term, nature, and you were uh, questioning whether or not it's possible to say something like Earth equals nature. And uh, you continued to speak, and after a while, you were speaking. You were speaking about not nature any longer. You were speaking about environmental uh, destruction produced by uh, our industrial activities. So you passed from uh, a questioning about nature to a questioning about culture to something about, uh, you know, economics, technologies, our industrial productions. I think that it's a good way, also, to your way of thinking is a perfect manifestation of how we think. We, when we think about the Earth, as soon as we begin to think about nature, we are compelled to think about culture, right? We cannot really think nature without culture and culture without nature we do this kind of travel this kind of intellectual trajectory from one point to another and uh, and that's precisely where we have to think, we have to think in this uh, kind of entanglement between uh, nature and culture, the fact that the earth is not only a natural entity but it is also, something that societies transform for centuries and uh, more than centuries. So that's the situation in which we are. Some people speak about the Anthropocene to define this situation, insisting, of course, on the term "anthropos," means meaning human. So the Anthropocene is a moment revealing the fact that. Societies, human societies, have the capacity to deeply transform uh, the infrastructure, if I can use this term, of uh, the earth. So that's the situation, that's where we are. It doesn't mean that we have to stay in this situation, to stay in the situation in which maybe we are not able any longer to make the distinction between uh, nature and culture. Maybe. Because we began our discussion with about the, about the idea of change, maybe it's a moment, a good moment to change also not only our representations. that is to say how do we think, how we think the relation between nature and culture, but maybe it is also a good moment to change our praxis, our politics, and our ways of being.
0: You do a whole lot of work in the book, um, Frederick, going from philosophical origins, basically from Aristotle and Plato forward, to try to understand how humans relate to Earth and what it means to us today. What has changed? Or are we still in, I guess, normative conception of what Earth is to humanity? Are things radically different now, how we conceive of Earth?
1: In order to assess what has changed, maybe we could uh, begin where we are, when we are, right now at this moment. And maybe we are living a specific moment in which we could be able, we should be able to see that something cannot be done with the earth. Maybe it is something uh, new. And this knowledge doesn't come from a religious uh, imperative. It doesn't come from the fact that, for example, it might be necessary to say that the earth is sacred. What I want to say is that maybe we are seeing, we are experiencing the fact that the earth cannot be constructed. There is something in the earth that cannot be manifested and so that cannot be mastered. So even if it's not a completely new idea, what is new is the fact that we have a direct experience of it through our own activities. So that's the new thing. We are experiencing the fact that the Earth is un- partially, there is a part of the Earth that is not constructed. There is a part that we cannot, in a way, master, control, and assess. That's the new thing. That this, it is this experience. Of course, experience is denied, because some people would like to believe that it's still possible to master and control the Earth it's all in the same way that it's possible to deny that we are mortal beings so a denial is always a psychological possibility to avoid the real but at least there is this possibility to cons- to acknowledge this experience climate change is one manifestation of the fact that there is something that we cannot construct so some people Propose some solutions to deal with our ecological difficulties. But the problem is that sometimes the solutions imagine that it's still possible to control the Earth with, for example, the good state. Okay, if we have the good state, uh, then it will be possible to to what exactly? That's the question. Uh, it's not possible for me to imagine a state that will be able to control what is uh, impossible to control in uh, the earth. It's too big.
0: It's time for a break. This is Heaven, another from the talking heads off of Fear of Music, when we return the schizophrenia of the capitalist ruling class. Stay with us for more on the unconstructible earth when Interchange returns. Welcome back to Interchange. Our show is Let's Unmake Something with philosopher Frédéric Neyrat. As a prelude to segment two, where we consider how technology is always a metaphor, always an embodiment of desire, here's another slice from Odd Even by Michael Palmer. If we're really mirrors in a poem, what will we call this song? I want to continue on yellow paper, like a person in a room, and like a ladder, and like a moth, say the persons of the poem. The tale is told out of school, your eyes are tired, so keep them closed, once an image broken arm." I wonder if there's just not an actual an, an imagination to control the earth, but to section off the human within it or outside of it, as as we might say, um, so that that humans that think about control are not necessarily controlling the earth, but attempting to uh, limit, I suppose, exposure to these climate systems. Um, Yeah. Do you think people actually think they can control what's going to happen or that they're literally thinking about minimizing the harm to a very small cohort of people?
1: We have to think about um, what is maybe the new form of schizophrenia. Uh, That affects, uh, for example, let's say the capitalist uh, class, because you can find both. You can find, you know, in the head of many CEOs, in the head of uh, Elon Musk and Bezos, the idea that a firm on one hand that they are able to deal with what is going on. And on the other hand, they try to escape the earth, or they try to build a bunkers uh, beneath, the, beneath uh, you know beneath the earth, in the earth to protect themselves from ecological devastation. So it's a fantasy, right? That is to say, a certain kind of desire that cannot be um, realized, an impossible desire. A, a psychoanalytical investigation uh, should be, uh, uh, might be useful here, right? The fact that we can imagine that we can. Control uh, the big other, to use a a concept coming from psychoanalysis. In the same way that some children imagine that they can control their mother, it doesn't work. But it's not because it doesn't work that they have not this kind of fantasy. Yes, this fantasy exists. And in a way, modern science, the modern science is based on that. But it's true that on the other hand, as it is precisely impossible, uh, there is also the attempt to Protect oneself from the effect of the earth and to find a good way to be severed from it. So, because a fantasy, you know, is not enough to prevent subjects from experiencing the real. So, there is also an attempt to sever oneself from the environment in a way to build or to find a place that would not be affected by uh, the environmental devastation. And of course, these two things go together. Because the best way to control an object or to control something that we consider as an object is to be severed from it. If you find the good distance, you will have um, the delusion, you will produce a delusion that what you face is an object.
0: This is part of your understanding of what you call the split? Is that, is that where we are now?
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, a sort of split, uh, a sort of cleavage. Um, thanks to which we can be simultaneously protected from something that we want to control. Exactly. So there is something, of course, it's a contradiction. Oh, it's a pure contradiction. But this contradiction is not seen as such. So it's more a split than a contradiction. Because as soon as you realize that you face a contradiction, you see the relation between the two aspects of the problem. But a split is precisely an operation, That prevents the subject from seeing the contradiction.
0: Your book shows us that many people are working to construct an environment and an earth uh, that will sustain uh, the continuation of a particular kind of human being and activity. One that is centered in technologies Let's talk about technology since that's that's really the probably the, the easiest thing to sort of grasp onto here. You know, it is the thing that we're surrounded by. It's the thing that we've understood as humans to be a major part of what it means to be human outside of language. I suppose, as, even if we we could call language a technology, I suppose. But let's let's imagine that most of us think this is the these are good things, these technologies. Now, why is it we have to then think these technologies are actually going to harm us? These things we've created continue to make things worse. I don't know if we need to make specific claims on specific technologies, but for me, it's a, a major part of the book is understanding how particular groups understand. The use of those technologies almost against Earth or within the environment that they assume the Earth permits, I suppose.
1: I work a lot these, these days uh, on um, a philosopher named um, Walter Benjamin, and in several texts he says the following thing Until now, let's say until now, we used technology as a way to master nature. And he says that in fact, technologies should be used in order to deal with the relation between human beings and nature. It's a huge difference, actually, because what this philosopher was trying to think is, uh, was thinking, actually, is a way to change the function and so the place and the social function of technologies. The problem of Benjamin was how... It's possible, how it might be possible to deal with social relations and how technologies could first deal with uh, our drives, our pulsions, our um, our instincts, uh, even if I don't like this term uh, instinct. So he was more thinking about a way to redirect technologies vis-à-vis a a certain number of social and political uh, concerns. So the problem of technology is first this one. What is their function? How do we consider their social uh, uh, function? Because, of course, depending on the answer that we are going to give to this question, uh, we will not build the same kind of technologies. The technologies that we decide to build, are the effect of what we think about them, right, uh, what, uh, what we consider as, as their function. As long as we will consider technologies as a way to master nature, we will destroy ourselves.
0: This is Interchange on WFHB. My guest is French philosopher Frédéric Neyra, and we're confronting the unconstructible Earth through his ecology of separation. Nera makes a provocative case against the rampant trend in the West towards solutionism and techno-optimism in confronting climate disruption. He insists we must change our minds, rejecting the idea of controlling an Earth that will not be a thing and is masterless. A lot of times I'm kind of lost in the idea that technologies kind of just happen. <laughs> you know, who, who drives the technological, you know, construction? How is it that technologies surfaced? Are they wildly fant- fantastical, as you say? Um, you know, then their intentions are just part of that imaginary that has no grounding?
1: Technologies are always uh, cosmotechnologies. Uh, that is to say, in fact, they always imply not only a representation of uh, the Earth, but also a representation of the relation between the Earth and the cosmos. And now maybe I am leaning toward uh, the third book that is not already written. But all these um, industrial, uh, all these uh, technologies, in fact, uh, are encoded into um, a cosmos. They are related to a global representation. And so without changing this global representation, we will not change our decisions. Of course, it's possible to reduce all these decisions to economical uh, intentions and to economical uh, uh, goals. But to say that is certainly true. But it will not it will not explain uh, why capitalism is so victorious, why it's so difficult to produce a representation of the universe that is completely different from the representation of the universe produced by capitalism. Really, my, my, my function or what I can do as you know little philosopher, or someone somewhere on the earth is to think about that, to think about reshaping our representation of uh, the cosmos reshaping in a way trying to analyze our imaginary and trying to see if it's possible to have uh, to produce or to rediscover or to unearth uh, uh, another another imaginary because for example solar geoengineering or nuclear energy or solar energy in general uh, all these three examples implies three different imaginaries, three different representations of the relation between the Earth and the Sun. So it is as if all this technology, even a nuclear plant, you know, is uh, in a way, uh, especially with ETR uh, with the last generation of uh, nuclear plants that in fact do not work, but uh, the goal of this last generation of nuclear plants is to produce or to reproduce A kind of sun on the earth. It is really an attempt to master the sun, not only the earth, but the sun. So I try to analyze this kind of fantasies. I try to analyze this kind of desires. I try to analyze how a technology is always a metaphor. It's In fact, it's a sentence of Marshall McLuhan, but how a technology is always the embodiment of the desire. If we are not able to produce this kind of, let's call it a cosmo-analysis, without this cosmo-analysis, we we will not be able to change the way we behave. And a political change will not be enough. We should not think one second that we will be able to deal with climate change with a mere political changes. Even political changes are absolutely crucial, but a political change will, will not be enough to deal with climate change. It's more than this. Alas. Because in fact, we have no time for that. But alas, we need more than, than a political change. We need more than a new state. We need more than a new, a Green New Deal. It's always a very good, it's already a very good thing, but it's not enough. It's not enough. It's more than this. That's, that's maybe why I'm so pessimistic, because I see that in fact, we have no time. We need to change now. But what we need to change is so huge. And um, the problem is that maybe we have no time to produce this change that in fact it's a change of civilization it's a change of um, representation it's a change in the regime of our desires so it's 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 um and and to do a cosmoanalysis as 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 you can imagine it's difficult to find you know uh cosmo <laughs>
0: Time for another break and another track from Fear of Music by the Talking Heads. This is Air. Stay with us for more on the unconstructible earth and the denial of death when Interchange returns. To interchange on WFHB, our show is Let's Unmake Something, with philosopher Frederick Nera about his book The Unconstructible Earth, An Ecology of Separation, which stresses the need to escape the fantasy of absolute mastery in time to change our trajectory. Here's another piece out of Michael Palmer's poem Odd Even. Who's one and who's nothing in the game? She asked. I couldn't understand the rest. Ideas aren't worth anything. We mirrored each other for an afternoon. The sky is rich with waste. Waiting is the name of this tune. Electrons was a name for this tune. Ideas aren't worth anything. To imagine immortality is obviously, as we've, as everyone talks about, and this is too simplistic, I'm sure, but the the denial of death uh, is essential to this idea, right? The denial yes. that you. You have to end your unique personhood has to end, It drives so much of everything humanity has done, right? So even the books the books we write, the words we say, the songs we sing, uh, these are often, you know, a, a way to exist beyond beyond the body so as you say throughout these are part of the the essential aspects of any conception of continuation how how we continue to last many of these people who are these technologists eco-modernists geoconstructivists etc are people who often disdain the very flesh they live in and so it's hard to imagine they care for the earth necessarily when they certainly don't care for themselves (laughs) and their own physical manifestation right
1: yeah, you know, I was thinking about these people who want to become immortal thanks to the possibility to upload their brain on the computer. And I was thinking they would like to become immortal, but they were not even able to be mortal. To be a mortal being is to realize that we exist. And the fact when we realize that we exist, that is to say, etymology—calling that we are outside, that we are... Uh, we are just uh, on the Earth in this uh, universe for a very short span of time. We are transient creatures. Uh, it's very, in fact, uh, interesting and very difficult, maybe, to draw the consequences of this uh, ontological state. To be, to exist, and and, and to be outside, and uh, to to exist, to be outside means precisely that there is something that we cannot master to link what you said about mortality and immortality to geoengineering, there is something that you can find um, in uh, a book of uh, a German philosopher called Hans Jonas, but also Michel Serres, the French philosopher, said almost exactly the same thing. What both said, with different words, of course, and different uh, philosophical philosophical systems, um, is that we cannot master our mastery. So, of course, you, we have, you know, thanks to our technologies, we have a, a, a tremendous power. We have an incredible power. We can kill and we can save lives and we can do many things. But uh, what we cannot master is our mastery. So it means that precisely even uh, our uh, power, we have no power on our own, own power. There is always a lack in the structure. There is something that we, cannot, that, that we cannot master. And I think that to exist precisely means the incapacity to master the fact that we exist. There is something in the fact of existence that cannot be mastered. It is a fact of existence uh, itself. And to understand that, is to understand that we have to let something be, if uh, this expression is correct in English. We have to find a way to let things be. And to find a way to let things be is to accept, To is to lose something, is to lose the fantasy of an absolute mastery. And uh, immortality, this wish, is still a way to prevent things from being what they have to be. This desire, this fantasy of immortality is, in the end, a way to erase the fact that we exist. It is as if these people wanted to deny the fact that they they are born, in a way.
0: The drive toward death is an interesting concept in the technological universe. There is a book by Bridget Brophy called the, "The Black Ship to Hell" is the name of the book. But it's this focus on the death drive and how even all the technologies, you know, sort of continue to negate the very thing that is our existence within the technologies themselves. Um, within how we imagine ourselves in in the world is part of the problem. Love. This is Interchange on WFHB. My guest is French philosopher Frédéric Neyra, and we're confronting the unconstructible Earth through his ecology of separation. Neyra makes a provocative case against the rampant trend in the West towards solutionism and techno-optimism in confronting climate disruption. He insists we must change our minds, rejecting the idea of controlling an Earth that will not be a thing and is masterless. The terms I wanted to kind of get to or understand, obviously, uh, and relationality is important in your book, uh, the idea of, of separation allowing relationality. Um, and rather than the sort of homogeneity of the Anthropocene creating, you know, lack of relationality. Um, and I did want you to try to explain that if possible. The separation and split are difficult in some sense. The idea of the, uh, the hiddenness of nature is a part of that as well. Near the end, there's a, the idea of the earth, you know, getting a, an image of the earth and not ever really seeing the earth whole because you know, there's always a hidden part that you can't capture. This is actually in in Moby Dick as well that uh, you cannot you cannot capture the whale in its entire construction. You know, you you can't you can talk about its eyes, you can talk about its bones, you can talk about its skin, um, but the whale escapes you. Uh, and in this way, it's you know, the book it did kind of end in that space for me that it was kind of an, um, a a Melvillean idea of of you know that inability to Not just master, but to even understand the hiddenness.
1: You know, for decades, uh, there was this idea that we should not think in terms of lack. And for good reason, like if you read some philosophers that I love, like Gilles Deleuze and Félix Battery, as soon as we consider that there is a lack, we know that someone is going to take advantage of it. And the fact that the state is going to present itself as, as a master as someone able to tell you what to do capitalism is going to present some objects that will be that should be able to exhaust your desire so as soon as we recognize that there is a lag there is someone there is an institution there is uh, a power that is going to take advantage of it so some people maybe some thinkers and uh, some um, psychiatrists uh, decided to get rid of this problem uh, category of lack and in fact for me this category is totally central the problem is to fight against those who try to take advantage of it so the lack has to be recognized as such as such That is to say as something that cannot be filled that cannot be mastered in a way think about you know communication and relationships and French friendship if i decide to communicate with someone uh, if I decide to speak with someone, uh, it is because there is, uh, I miss something. There is something missing, in fact. So it is because I feel that I am not the other, not exactly the other, at least. I feel there is a difference. There is something. There is a discrepancy. There is um, something that does not fit. There is uh, a missing part. And so I communicate and I speak and I love because of this missing part. And it is because of this separation because of this disjunction that I am going to create a junction. It can be again a love story. It can be a, a simple communication and interview, uh, you know, as we have now. I, I don't see you uh, actually. So, uh, but we can speak. And we can speak together, and we want to speak together because we don't know each other, because I don't know. No, I told you that. I, I want to I want to hear your questions. I have no idea about what you are going to say, and that interests me. I am interested in the fact that I don't know what you are going to say, actually. And it is precisely this um, gap between us, precisely this uh, missing part, this uh, enigma, that I want to create this uh, transient bridge that is this uh, conversation. So I really think that a relation requires a separation, not a wall. Because, of course, if the dark uh, screen between us becomes a wall, if it becomes the expression of a double denial or my denial or your denial, if what is between us becomes the embodiment of our rejection, there will be no, no communication. So, of course, if there is this wall, we have to deconstruct this wall. Uh, if this wall prevents us from communicating. So, of course, a split, that is to say, an absolute separation, is something terrible. Because, of course, if there is just a black screen between us, I am going to produce some crazy representations. Uh, about you. I am going to imagine uh, whatever. I am going to imagine that you are uh, a dangerous and evil creature. You know, we can imagine the production of racism precisely based on the fact that uh, there is something that I don't want to see. But as soon as I begin to uh, consider this missing part as precisely what we share, Uh, Then we can, we can begin to think about the way to create this uh, transient moment of communication.
0: It's time for our final break and here's another song from The Talking Heads. This is Animals. Stay with us for more on the problem of thinking about nature and the earth as we confront climate disruption. Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. For this final segment on the Unconstructible Earth with Frederick Nera. he asks, Is it possible to recognize oneself in a tree? Again, from Michael Palmer's Odd Even. I'm writing your letters back to you. Which is a sound, at least, to mirror another sound? Where no other paintings can be found. Imitate me, says the elm. Give me an azure sky, huge and round. Give me something in words for a change something that fits on a page the best paintings are on stone if I if I'm in a relationship with someone and we don't speak or we have arguments and don't actually talk about things we begin to imagine the conversation we would be having we create uh, we cre- well we create a mirror I suppose rather than an actual... Other being, and that's pretty interesting in terms of trying now now trying to take that into this uh, ecological space. To trying to translate this separation um, instead of split, to try to translate this ability to relate inside this uh, ecological argument or uh, ecological space is maybe a little harder. I, do I do I come to this in the same way as I would in a relationship with? Uh, my wife, or my sister, or my mom, or a friend, or a stranger, or my dog, or, or a tree—where is the hidden that I'm going to relate to in some ways as I take it out into nature or ecology?
1: You know, this this famous myth of Narcissus, uh, and uh, Narcissus—you uh, know—in the myth, and uh, doesn't recognize his image. So he sees an image on uh, on a lake, and because you spoke about a mirror. So it is interesting that the lake acts as a mirror because there is the reflection of his face uh, at the surface of the lake. but he does not recognize this uh, image as uh, his own image. And that's why he can uh, fall in love. So Narcissus doesn't fall in love of himself. He falls in love of an image that he does not recognize as his own image. If we pass from that to our relation with the earth, what was interesting, that's why the ecological thought was so important. It was, in a way, to the attempt was to break the mirror and to uh, show how interconnected we are. So that that's movement, again, the split between Earth and nature, let's say that, between humans and non-humans, was healthy. It was a healthy move to say, hey, we are a part of that. That is to say, we can recognize ourselves In Maybe not this tree, why not? But at least we can recognize that a part of ourselves is at play, at stake in what we call the environment. So in this sense, we are in relation with. So in this sense, it was... This kind of interconnectivity, this kind of interconnectedness, this new discovery, not rediscovery of a sort of you know relation between humans and non-humans, it was absolutely good to go beyond the split. Now we are in a situation in which we have to rethink this otherness, not in order to go back to the split. Uh, It was, it was a disaster situation in which we were able to destroy nature because we were not able to recognize, to recognize ourselves in it. Uh, So, uh, it was necessary again, I repeat, to create this kind of relation, to create this togetherness between humans and non-humans. Now I think we have to go beyond that and we have to recognize again a form of otherness in the non-humans. I am going to take an example because you spoke about Trees. Is it possible or not to recognize oneself in a tree? I would like to use a a concept coming in fact fact from uh, the political philosophy of a French philosopher called Jacques Rancière. And Jacques Rancière spoke about something that he calls impossible identifications. He says basically that politics begins when we identify with someone that we cannot be. So we are going to help uh, this person, uh, not because we are like this person, but because there is a moment thanks to which there is a situation in which we can identify with something that we recognize as different from us. So it is an impossible identification, not because it doesn't happen, but because it happens as impossible. And to speak about an impossible identification with trees means that there are specific moments and also specific political struggles during which I am going to create a sort of aliens, right? Coalition or aliens, during which I will not be human, I will not be only human any longer without becoming a tree. That is to say there are two pitfalls. The one is to consider humans as only human beings severed from well, the earth and the non humans. But the other mistake and the other maybe problem is to imagine that we can really become the other, become the tree, become the lake. So let's say uh, the other mistake is fusion. So on the one hand, we have like the pure split and all the disastrous consequences that we s- spoke about before. <laughs>
0: This is Interchange on WFHB. My guest is French philosopher Frédéric Neyra, and we're confronting the unconstructible Earth through his ecology of separation. Neyra makes a provocative case against the rampant trend in the West towards solutionism and techno-optimism in confronting climate disruption. He insists we must change our minds, rejecting the idea of controlling an Earth that will not be a thing and is masterless.
1: But on the other hand, there is another fantasy, uh, maybe less dangerous than the first one, but also problematic. The fantasy of a fusion.
0: Hmm. This is part so of the, the absolute imminence, the relational yes, exactly. excess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. The first and absolute transcendence. You know, we are not belonging to the Earth. We can not destroy it, even if the Earth's disappears, I will be, you know, stay alive somewhere, my spirit will escape. And on the other hand, the absolute immanence, like we are the same, we are a part of Gaia, or I don't know, Is this kind of childish representations of, of the Earth, I think, should be able to produce better, more interesting metaphors than the metaphor of Gaia. So yes, neither pure transcendence, nor pure immanence. But Impossible identifications from which I can recognize the other as an other without turning this otherness as an absolute uh, alterity.
0: I think it's either a line in this book or in an interview with someone that you say something like they're, uh, they're an effective. Political imaginary in particular requires a pro- proliferation of exit routes. And I thought, you know, it was an interesting imagine, like to, to imagine this relation as exit uh, also, you know, and how it is that we, we begin to have these conversations um, in our neighborhoods, you know, with our friends, with our family, so that we, we do begin to try to change this particular perspective that has trapped us within, within these metaphors that we continue to repeat.
1: When I was thinking about these identifications with trees, I was thinking about different kinds of experiences, political, a form of political activism, trying to go beyond the separation between humans and non-humans, and trying to p- produce some political alliances, not only between humans, but between humans and non-humans. There is actually a, um, a huge amount of discussion about this kind of um, coalitions uh, going on. But these experiences, of course, this proliferation will never be enough. As such, uh, it will never be enough to change culture. So after that, all the problem is how we are going to represent some possible experiences. How our imaginary is going to be charged by that, changed and charged by these experiences. How are we going to educate our children to be sensitive to this possibility Uh, Not this necessity, but this possibility. To say that something is possible and to offer a cultural place to this possibility is huge. That's a way to go beyond the experience of activists somewhere uh, on the planet. It's a way to transform an experience into a cultural resource, if I can use the term resource.
0: So there's a part of me that tries to imagine how these conversations happen in places like Indiana or to imagine this change. So there's a, a part in your book where somebody says, in the forests, the trees are seen as carbon stocks and not as trees anymore. Uh, this is not a new way to think about trees. Obviously, as you know, in Indiana, if you, if you work for any governmental a- agency that has to do with our natural resources here in Indiana, then trees are timber. You know, trees are lumber. They're just a crop. So, you know, we're stuck with having that kind of crop mentality as we, you know, as, as a part of these conversations. So, uh, and as you already noted, tied into the economics of people's livelihoods, we don't talk about these philosophical issues per se. We talk about our livelihoods. It is a difficult thing to imagine, as you say, you know, a focus away from, you know, the mastery idea, the idea that humans uh, are the pinnacle of beings, you're not uh, exceptional, I think, is the the con- consistent term we use, right? The even the fact that we say anthropocene assumes an exceptionality.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. All these ideas, is the human exceptionality, and um, it implies an amputation of sensitivity because to consider this exceptionality, and because it's a it's a condition of the possibility for considering the land, as a mere resource. And so in this discourse, the land is only a land. A tree is only a tree, and maybe less than a tree. And to get rid of the human exceptionality is something that we can do when we realize that a land is never only a land. A land is, ever, is always even more than a land. A tree is always ever, always more than itself. And it is, in fact, that excess that we need to be able to, to perceive. I am always surprised by the fact that to be able to consider trees as timber, as you said, in fact, this mental operation implies a self-amputations. So there is something, a sort of anesthesia at play in this kind of, of statement and um, a reduction of sensitivity.
0: That's our show. A final song from the Talking Heads off of Fear of Music. This is Memories Can't Wait. Do you remember anyone
1: know you don't remember anything
0: and here, too, is a final piece from Michael Palmer's poem, Odd Even. Hateful city, in the dream the tree was first a word, then became a column in a dark arcade. What signs for odd and even must be made? Dear George, so long. Will you now have memory again? Thanks to Frederick Nera for thinking something other than technology must confront climate catastrophe. A changed mind. Nera's book is The Unconstructible Earth, published by Fordham University Press. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Cade Young is executive producer. This is Bloomington, Indiana's community radio station, WFHB. Thanks for listening.
1: Take a walk through the land of shadows Take a walk through the of Don't look so What you're for? This.